0: From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. A quick warning, we will be talking about suicide in this next segment. If you or someone you know is struggling, you can call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. When Jeffrey Epstein died by suicide last month in a New York corrections facility, questions about the state of mental health care in America's prisons briefly dominated national headlines. But suicides in jails and prisons are becoming more and more commonplace, especially in Georgia. The state has one of the highest rates of inmate suicides in the nation, nearly double the national average. Atlanta-based freelance reporter Max Blau reported on these numbers for the Macon Telegraph. He spoke with state officials, family members, and dug into public records to learn more and joins me in the studio. Max, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. So your reporting shows that the suicide rate in Georgia prisons is rising drastically with nearly 50 cases in the last three years, double the previous three-year period. After all the reporting you've done, can you help us better understand or summarize why there are so many inmate suicides in Georgia?
1: When you look at the big picture in Georgia as well as elsewhere, one of the key things um, that prisons are grappling with is how to treat prisoners experiencing mental health um, conditions of all kinds. Um, Prisons, it should come as no surprise, are in not the best places to treat people with any kind of sickness. Um, But yet, when people are incarcerated, they have the responsibility for caring for prisoners who are in their facilities. In terms of why suicide specifically, in some cases, it's related to staffing and, and issues related to the number of correctional officers in the correctional facility. Otherwise, it is related to solitary confinement and the degree to which people are being watched. And additionally, there's concerns related to the number of medical providers within correctional facilities and whether there are en- enough to adequately treat the mental health populations within Georgia's correctional facilities.
0: So obviously, a lot of factors. You found that half the state's prison suicides came from six facilities south of Macon, but they are only house about a fifth of the state's prison population. So same factors driving that high rate in southern Georgia?
1: Absolutely. If you look at where Prisons are located typically, they are not always, some of them are located in cities, but many of them are located in places where there are broader employment struggles to recruit and retain workers. In addition, within those six facilities, there was one in particular, uh, Valdosta State Prison, that had the highest rate. I believe they have less than 5% of the overall population of Georgia Department of Corrections prisoners, yet they had around a fifth of the suicides that occurred. So there are some particular facilities that have faced the problem more than others.
0: Yeah, so 10 suicides there since 2017, the last one just a couple of weeks ago. You, you talked about understaffing, overcrowding, also people not fully trained. But you quoted an inmate in the article who said a lack of empathy from staff. Obviously, that's coming from the prisoner side of things. Did you find more echoing that kind of sentiment?
1: I did. And, and after the first story I wrote for the and Telegraph came out, I spoke again with that inmate a couple of weeks later. This is six days after Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide. And he told me the story of how his cellmate had expressed that he was suicidal asked a guard for help, and the guard apathetically, or in some ways mocking him, said, so am I. Hmm. He called his wife, who is a prison advocate. She called a supervisor, and despite assurances that they would check on him, no one came within the hours afterwards, and Mike, the, the person you quoted, ultimately had to talk his cellmate away from the idea of committing suicide. No one came after that for several more days to check on him.
0: Yeah. So we did reach out to the Georgia Department of Corrections for a statement on this. They said they have added a forensic psychologist to focus solely on suicide prevention and added additional psychiatrists at 22 state prisons. This is since 2018. Any data on how that kind of support affects suicide rates, maybe in other places?
1: I asked them. I got the similar response from them, and I asked them for any follow-up info about how that works. My first reaction was that one forensic psychologist for a system of 50,000 people seems like not does not seem like a significant addition to what they are doing to prevent suicide. I was curious to hear their response to that. And I never heard back from them um, in regards to some of those questions. So when you talk to advocates here and elsewhere, more money and more resources is a start for hiring more mental health professionals, especially at a time when Prisons are on the front lines of a mental health epidemic in this country.
0: Right. But they're having difficulty getting regular staffing. How about finding mental health professionals, exactly. especially with Governor Kemp has asked state agencies, including the Department of Corrections, to cut between 4 and 6% of their budgets, 4% this year, 6 next year. What impact will those kind of cuts have on the well-being of these prisoners?
1: It remains to be seen at this point in time. I I have not seen anything specific to the Department of Corrections that's been reported yet on that front. However, anything related to staffing or mental health resources, um, if that gets cut, that will only exacerbate some of these issues.
0: Max Blau is with me. He reported on prison suicides for the Macon Telegraph. The state has nearly double the national average of inmate suicides over the past three years. We're going to check back with him after hearing from our fall fund drive. I'm Virginia Prescott reminding you that GPB is Georgia's only statewide public radio news network. So it's a service that can take us out of our busy lives and the bubbles we cannot help but live in and introduce you to the voices and lives of others. People or events you or I may never hear of otherwise. That's the kind of connection we're getting in this conversation today, and it's really only possible with independent journalism, free from commercial interests or free from clickbait journalism. We're asking you to support that during our fall fund drive. Here's how. We're back with more of On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott, picking up our conversation on suicide in Georgia prisons with Max Blau. He's an Atlanta-based reporter who has looked into the rise of suicides over the past few years. The incidence among inmates in Georgia is nearly double the national average. As a reminder, as we discuss this sensitive topic, if you or someone you know is struggling, there is a lot of help available. You can call one 800 273 talk That's 1-800-273-8255. So, Max, as part of your reporting, you spoke to a number of families of those who had died by suicide in prison. You found that many struggle to find information after their loved one's death. How do they ultimately find out, and how long does it take for the news to reach them?
1: In some cases, they find out, like the rest of us, which is a press release um, that comes out in the days after someone has died. And at that point in time, there's just a very small, maybe three or four paragraphs worth of information that says who died, what the suspected cause of death is.
0: Wait, they find out when the public finds out?
1: In some cases, yes. And in some cases, that's when they go then and ask for more information, they don't receive informa- any any additional information beyond what we know. So that's one of the frustrations I've heard from mothers that I've spoken with. They just want to know what happened. In many cases, it's still unclear at the initial announcement of a suicide, whether or not it was in fact a suicide. But an investigation is supposed to happen. And when other kinds of deaths happen with police or law enforcement officials on, on the outside of a prison, there's usually a, a process where you don't know for a while. And right. then ultimately, a case closes, a, a file is open, and you, you can obtain that. But in, in the case of Department of Corrections, that's, that's not something that happens or mothers have access to.
0: There is a Supreme Court case, landmark case from 1976, Estelle v. Gamble, that established health care as a right for prisoners. Can you just talk us through that case and how it applies to health care and mental health care for inmate suicides today?
1: Absolutely. So in the 1970s, there was a a Texas inmate who was working on a detail and a 600-pound cotton bale fell on him and injured his his back and his neck. Um, He was placed in solitary confinement, and after requesting medical care and having it denied and refusing to work further. So he sued and that ultimately went up to the Supreme Court. He ultimately lost the case, but in that ruling, it set forward a principle known as deliberate indifference, which means that any medical correctional official who is aware of some kind of healthcare condition um, and, and need of treatment, if they have that knowledge that they can't deny further care and that they're required to under the Eighth Amendment. Over time, lawyers pushed for clear standards, but even to this day, decades later, there isn't a clear legislative or legal framework that outlines that at a federal or state level. So oftentimes the only course of correcting something that is wrong with suicides or other policies is through the courts, people suing in the same way um, Mr. Gamble did in the
0: 70s. And a number of the families that you have spoken to have filed medical malpractice suits. So one of the people is Sheba Marie. She, her son, Caleb Mitchell, died by suicide in Valdosta State Prison. What What's the story she told you?
1: She told me she had received a letter from her son that suggested he was going to end his life. She called the prison, uh, this is the Valdosta State Prison, to find out what was going on and what was being done about it. She was assured that they were watching him. He was in solitary confinement at that time. And a few days later, he ended his life, and what she is suing now over is the fact that there was an unreasonable delay related to her flagging of that and his expressing of his, of su- his suicidal intentions, and then the actual death happening, that there wasn't enough done in that period.
0: So she's she's suing now. Yeah, she's
1: currently suing, and I believe she's being represented by the ACLU.
0: Well, you mentioned solitary a couple of times. What's the relationship or the incidence of suicide in solitary confinement compared to general population?
1: Typically, it's, it's significantly higher, and this is something that came up with the Epstein case as well, um, where when you are in solitary confinement, there's typically a policy that requires a check to be done every fifteen minutes. In reality, that doesn't always happen, and that's a consequence of understaffing or the apathy that we had talked about earlier. But by having 15-minute checks or constant monitoring in some jails or prisons is something that also happens. There are ways to prevent you know, a two-hour period from passing in some cases that someone who is suicidal is just left unattended and can potentially end their life.
0: Mm. What can we expect to see with the lawsuits like Sheba's going forward?
1: Oftentimes in those cases, whether it's it's under a deliberate indifference claim or medical malpractice, it, it is incredibly hard to prove that something went wrong, but it is the only way to ensure that future changes happen at this point in time. There are other things states have done elsewhere where uh, Colorado ended the use of long-term solitary confinement a few years ago, where there's a, maxim, a cap placed on how long you can stay in solitary confinement. In addition to solitary confinement, there's also um, other tools like some jails are requiring guards to carry like a electronic fob that tracks a correctional officer going through a facility to make sure they're actually doing the job mm-hmm. instead of manually logging it, which which we saw in
0: the Epstein case exactly could be fudged right, right. You just mentioned Colorado, but of course, there are other states facing a rise in prison inmate suicides. Do you have any examples or models from other states? in addition to Colorado, that can be used to help prevent this problem?
1: I spoke with a sheriff of a jail uh, about 120 miles north of San Francisco who was telling me about a, a lawsuit that happened there after a, a suicide took place um, and they had to pay out, I think it was about $2 million. And afterwards, he implemented a few things. First was anything inside of a cell that could be turned into some kind of noose or other device that was um, could be used to self-harm they've replaced it with different kinds of material. For instance, um, some inmates will use sheets or blankets to fashion a noose. And instead of having things that could rip easily, there were tear-resistant blankets put into place. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one specific thing within the cell. On the outside, there's additional training that happened. Uh, I spoke with one criminal justice expert who suggested that instead of a correctional officer getting a one-time training or once every 10 years she pointed to people who are trained to do CPR that have to go through a recertification every three years Mm -hmm. and if there was continuous ongoing training not just for new staffers but also ones who are veterans people will be put in the position to consider suicide prevention as a key portion of their jobs and to be trained to do so.
0: Max Blau, thank you so much for your reporting on this. Thank you for having me. Max Blau, he's been looking into Georgia's rising rate of inmate suicides in state prisons. He wrote about it for the Macon Telegraph and for Stateline, something he's going to keep on. And you can read a link to his full reporting at gpbnews.org. We're taking a quick break here to remind you that it is your support that makes on Second Thought and everything that you hear on GPB possible. Right now, during our fall fun drive, it's your opportunity to do your part, the amount that is up to you. What counts most is that we hear from you. Here's how you can help out.